Welcome to this Mount Pleasant Baptist Church podcast recorded at our Burgoon campus. We're glad you've joined us and we pray that the Lord will speak to you and encourage you through this message. series. We've got a new series starting today and um, you know over the last three weeks we've taken a closer look at the lives of uh, three men known as the uh, the fathers of the faith or the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Those of you who've joined us over the last few weeks and uh, now over coming weeks and beginning this morning we turn our focus to Joseph, uh, one of the sons of Jacob and uh, we'll be looking at what we can learn uh, from his life and his, uh, his example. Interesting to note that uh, more than a quarter of the book of Genesis is devoted to Joseph's story. So uh, he's a significant character in the Old Testament. And uh, recurring through the story is this theme of grace under pressure, our, the title of, of the theme of our uh, series, that there's a, a, a grace on Joseph's life even as he goes through various struggles and, uh, as we'll see, suffers all sorts of um, ill-treatment and uh, injustice. But by the end of the story, Joseph, uh, again, as we'll see, has gained a perspective that he doesn't have in his youth, but gains through his life in the midst of his pain And uh, his testimony, and we'll end the series with this, but his testimony in Genesis 50, as he looks back over his life of struggle, is that what people intended for evil, God has turned around and used for good. For the salvation of many. So God's sovereign hand can be seen over this whole story. So Before we begin to look at this amazing story, just a couple of big picture comments. Uh, Thanks, Dave. We can have them. First, if we go back to Genesis 15, 13, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. This is God's word to Abram. The nation of Israel, we know, began with Jacob, whose name the Lord changed to Israel. You might recall from last week, who had 12 sons, from whom came the 12 tribes of Israel and was born uh, the nation of Israel. And so the story of Joseph is the story of how this newly formed nation, at this stage, just a family, just a a father, the mother died, Rachel died, but uh, with uh, 12 sons, 12 brothers, how they came to be in the foreign land of Egypt, a country not their own, that, uh, where that 400-year period of slavery and ill-treatment would take place as prophesied through Abram. Amazing. Second big picture comment. Uh, many scholars would say that Joseph was a, a type of Christ. In other words, Joseph in his life foreshadowed the, the coming of Jesus and the experience of Jesus in his life. Uh, Just some examples of that. Both Joseph and Jesus were sent by their father. Both Joseph and Jesus fled to Egypt. Both of them were betrayed by their brothers. Both were cast into a pit, as we'll learn along the way. Both were resurrected from the pit. Both were exalted to the highest place in the land and both have every knee bowed to them. And perhaps most significantly, 
both suffered in order that many may be saved. And so we see this pattern of God's purpose of salvation being accomplished despite the evil intentions of humanity or the evil one. So our theme today is dreams and dysfunction. And uh, the story of Joseph begins in Genesis 37. This morning we'll read the first 11 verses if you'd like to follow on your app or on your device or in your Bible or from the screen. Let me read them to you. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, the, whose names rhyme, uh, it's irrelevant, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? I mean, really? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. <laughs> Slow learner. Listen, he said, <laughs> I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. <laughs> what an annoying young lad. How to win friends and influence people. It's a book that uh, Joseph would have done well to read. Uh, instead, he learned the hard way, didn't he, that when you put people offside, often there can be very unpleasant consequences. And what we discover in this story from the outset is that Joseph and his 10 older brothers didn't get along too well. There was significant family dysfunction, some relationship challenges within the family. Imagine that. Have any of you ever had any kind of relation challenges, relationship challenges in your family? If you have, say amen. <laughs> well, we're in good company with Joseph and his family. And the good news is that God works in and through us despite all of our dysfunction. His grace and his sovereignty. So let's take a closer look at the dysfunction in this family. Four examples, four examples, uh, just in this short passage that uh, we do well to avoid, actually, in our own families and in the family of God. And the first of these examples of dysfunction is betrayal. There in verse 2, 
Now, we don't know exactly what the older brothers did, but we do know that they were all out in the fields with Joseph looking after the sheep and something happened out there in the fields and words were exchanged. Well, next thing, Joseph comes back to his dad, we read it there in the text, and brings a bad report about his brothers. In other words, he rats out on his brothers to his dad, betraying them. Now, every parent of younger children has experienced this. Uh, Some of you probably have stories from earlier today, even, of when your younger children, one of your kids, has brought a bad report about another. Mom, Daniel hit me in the head with a bat. Well, any wise parent will know that young Daniel may well be guilty of this bat crime, but there's almost always more to the story than meets the eye. You familiar with that whole account? So what did you do to Daniel just before he hit you in the head with the bat? Nothing. I'll tell you, parenting's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting. And it's these kinds of little uh, exchanges that just suck the life out of you. When our daughter was in year one, we had a a parent-teacher interview. And I always remember the teacher said, Ashley has a very well-developed sense of justice, doesn't she? (laughs) He said, oh, what do you mean? And she said, well, whenever there's any kind of altercation in the schoolyard... I can be sure that Ashley will give me a full, unbiased and detailed account of exactly what transpired. Thanks, Constable Ashley. Well, there are plenty of altercations in the schoolyard. Unkind words are spoken. Punches are thrown. In year one, I threw a stone at Mario Bianco from some distance and I hit him right in the head. It was my uh, David and Goliath moment. primary school it was very satisfying at the time however Mario brought a bad report to the teacher with blood streaming down his face (laughs) as we get older we become a lot more sophisticated in our betrayal and instead of throwing stones uh, we use our words and maybe you can think of a recent occasion even when you went to someone and you brought a bad report about someone else You made a negative comment or you spoke a critical word or an unkind statement about another person. Maybe to a friend about another friend. You might even have prefaced your comment with, I probably shouldn't say this. Do you ever do that? I probably shouldn't say this. You know, when you do that, you're guilty of a betrayal of trust. And in that moment, as a follower of Jesus, you may be aware of the indwelling Holy Spirit prompting you, even as you say, I probably shouldn't say this. There's a Holy Spirit prompting that says, don't say this. Don't say it. Don't go down this path. And you'll either respond to that prompting or you'll ignore it. I'll never forget something one of the pastors in our Melville Geo Network prayer meeting once said. He said, um, you know, I'll make you all a promise. 
He said, I promise you, your name is safe in my mouth. It's a beautiful thing. So it should be in the body of Christ that we don't speak ill of each other. We don't bring a bad report about someone behind their back. As it says in Philippians, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let those things occupy your thoughts and your conversations and your relationships. A lot of categories there. Betrayal of trust doesn't fit into any of them. And there's no place for that kind of negative, critical spirit in the family of God. Number two, the second dysfunction is favoritism. And we see it right there in the text. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Well, Parenting 101 would say, don't have favorites. Whatever you do as a parent... Don't ever favour one of your kids over the others. If you do, it won't bode well for family, uh, healthy relationships within the family. Well, Jacob not only loved Joseph more, he also bought him this special gift, a very special gift that he didn't buy for any of his other boys, only for Joseph, this uh, so-called ornate robe, a fancy robe. Now, I learned something this week about that robe. If... um, If you ever went to Sunday school, you probably learned about Joseph's coat of many colours. You would have learned about that, probably books and colouring in things in your uh, equivalent of MPK. Or perhaps you're an Andrew Lloyd Webber fan and have you heard of the famous musical production, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Anyone ever see that? A few of you, yes, just, uh, just love it. Well, it turns out, I don't want to burst your bubble, but it turns out That word the NIV translates as ornate, an ornate robe, is an unusual word of uncertain meaning in the Hebrew. Uh, In fact, there's probably a footnote in your Bible, whatever text you've got in front of you, there's probably a little footnote there that says, oh, the meaning of this word is uncertain. And scholars now generally agree that this was more likely a long-sleeved or full-length coat, either of which would indicate that Joseph was considered by his dad to be management rather than labour. Interesting. I suspect that if Lloyd Webber had gone with the Joseph and the full-length coat as a title, it wouldn't have been so successful. <laughs> but the significance of the full-length coat is that not only was there favour, but also status granted to Joseph, who, let me remind you, was the second youngest son. Not the eldest son, the second youngest son. So the older brothers get the message loud and clear that Joseph is the favourite and the important one. What a difficult thing to deal with within a family. What a dysfunction. Well, Romans 2.11 tells us that God does not show favouritism. He doesn't treat us that way. He treats us all the same. And see there in James 2, favoritism actually is a sin. Well, in Jacob's family, it led to Joseph's brothers hating him. They hated him. They couldn't speak a kind word to him. It's, it's awful, isn't it? Awful when that happens within a family. And there's that level of hatred. Perhaps some of you know something about that in your own family units. 
in the family of God, we need to do all we can to eliminate any kind of favoritism and uh, the resentment and ill feeling that goes with it. Third example of uh, dysfunction is, uh, is arrogance. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And it's funny, isn't it? Even as you read the text, it sounds as though Joseph, almost from the moment he woke up, he couldn't wait to blurt this out to his brothers. Hey, fellas, I had a dream last night that basically all of you were bowing down to me. What about that, eh? Well, what about this, Joseph? You are a numpty. Get back in your box. See, the problem wasn't the dream. The dream came from the Lord. The problem was the state of Joseph's heart. Now, remember, he's 17 years old. We can probably cut him some slack. But he was arrogant. And not only that, he was also slow to learn. His brothers hated the first dream. Well, his second dream, he told them that as well. This time, even his father rebuked him. Joseph, would you cut it out? What, are we all going to bow down to you? Well, if you know the end of the story, it turns out, yes, they are. John Maxwell says this, there are two kinds of pride, both good and bad. Good pride represents our dignity and self-respect. Bad pride is the deadly sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance. And this was Joseph's issue. He was arrogant. You might remember there's another Joseph in the Bible, the Joseph of Mary and Joseph fame. And this Joseph also had a dream where an angel appeared to him explaining that Mary's pregnancy was from the Holy Spirit and that her son Jesus would save his people from their sins. Wow, that is quite a dream. That's an epiphany. You would think plenty of scope, plenty of potential there in Joseph and even in Mary's mind for arrogance. Uh, you know, you can just imagine, uh, sorry, clear the way, please. My wife is carrying the son of God uh, in utero. So, uh, you know, please, uh, please make some way. I'm happy to sign some autographs. Uh, just form a queue down this way. Mary and Joseph had angelic appearances. They had hosts of angels. They had bands of shepherds. They had ex exotic visitors from the east turning up for this key moment in the history of humanity. Everyone around them is utterly amazed. And here's Mary's response. Not a hint of arrogance, but read in the Gospels. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. A woman of great wisdom and beautiful humility. Maybe Old Testament Joseph would have been wise to do the same. Well, all through the scriptures, God speaks to people through dreams in the Old and New Testament. Maybe some of you have had this experience. You know, God continues to speak to people through dreams today. He really does. We should expect the Lord to speak to us in our dreams. The Bible tells us in the last days, young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. Sadly, I seem to be rapidly drifting into that second category. But we should expect the Lord to speak to us in our dreams. Ask him. We should ask him. We should pray for fresh revelation, for new insights. We should ask him for uh, guidance 
from his indwelling spirit as we're in that uh, dream state. Just this last week, and uh, I have Mike Miles, Pastor Mike Miles' permission to share this. On Tuesday, Mike took a call from Neville Quartermain. We heard earlier about the, uh, the, the terrible circumstances, the fall that his wife just had. Uh, so Neville rang. He's quite distressed over um, his wife having had this fall, Aileen. And uh, when he finished the call, I was with Mike at the time, and uh, he said to me in passing, you know, I had a dream the other night about Neville and Aileen. He said, it's never happened before. This just seems so random. He said, I'm sure it was the Lord prompting me to get in touch or just letting me know that I would need to be caring for this family. These things shouldn't surprise us. But when they come our way, we must be sure to guard against allowing any kind of spiritual arrogance or superiority to creep in. Oh, the Lord speaks to me through dreams. You know, I'm, I'm something special. No, no, God is amazing. Number four, and the final thing, jealousy. Uh, right there in verse 11, just simply states the fact his brothers were jealous of him. Terrible thing, jealousy. They hated him, actually, because he was the favourite. And he had an arrogance about him and now he's having all these dreams. They hated him, but deep down they were jealous. And jealousy is an ugly thing that has no place in the body of Christ. It's listed there in Galatians 5. You know, before Paul lists off the fruit of the Spirit, he rattles off this dreadful list of what he describes as works of the flesh or acts of the flesh. And jealousy is in there amongst them. And then here's a verse I've never really taken much notice of before in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 3 there, where Paul says, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? <laughs> what an interesting thing to write. Because you might think, well, aren't we just mere humans? Well, no, not according to Paul. We're people of God. We're people of the Spirit. We're people who are called to a higher standard and equipped by the Spirit to live according to that higher standard. It's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Aim high in terms of your expectations of yourself and your conduct. But here's the miraculous thing, and Joseph's family is a prime example. God is so gracious. God is able to fulfill his kingdom purposes in your family even, and in this family, Amen. despite our dysfunction and our character flaws and despite the obstacles along the way. God is able to bring good out of what are seemingly terrible, even hopeless circumstances in our lives. God is able. In fact, God's plans are forged in the context of the dysfunction of humanity in spite of our betrayal, in spite of our favoritism, in spite of our arrogance, in spite of our jealousies, our pettiness. God works in our hearts to redeem these evil things and turn them to good to make us more like Jesus. Amen? This is God's plan for your life. 
As I close, there's just something I want to share with you this morning that I've been wrestling over whether or not to share. Praying even yesterday, Lord, do I share this or should I just be pondering it in my heart? <laughs> like Mary. But amongst other things, the timing in relation to this message about dreams uh, just compels me to share this little story. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was speaking at a, uh, a lunchtime meeting in the city. It's a, it's a weekly event called Perth Prayer. I was involved in its inception 12 years ago. This was the 12-year anniversary, actually, of this meeting in the Wesley Church there. And so they asked me to come and speak. And um, as I was speaking, little did I know, but uh, there was a, a quiet, unassuming Indonesian couple sitting in the very back row, a couple I'd never seen or met. I didn't know most of the people in the congregation, actually. But I didn't know this couple. And uh, as I was sharing, she apparently leant across to her husband and said to him, pointing at me, that's the pastor who was in my dream the other night. So after the meeting, this man came forward and he was um, just sort of hovering a little awkwardly in the background and he came to me and he said rather gingerly, Pastor, you appeared in my wife's dream. <laughs> Can you come and speak with her? I said, what? <laughs> and he said again, my wife had a dream. You were in it. Can you come? She's at the back. Yes, all right, I, yes, yes. And so I sort of wandered down with him to the back of the church there. And she shared the dream. She said, in the dream, um, my husband urgently, all I can remember about the dream is that my, my husband urgently needed to connect with the, the pastor in the dream. The problem was that I didn't know who the pastor was until now, until this meeting. And it was you. And so I looked to the guy and I said, do you know why you and I have to connect? He said, no. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is going well. <laughs> but to cut a long story short, I had lunch in their home on Friday, just gone. Beautiful, humble Indonesian couple where he shared with me a dream a picture that he'd received of a serpent. I've actually felt quite troubled by this. He said, I've received a picture of a serpent. I have to share with you and this is a ruling principality over our city. And he said, this ruling principality wants to strangle our city, but it will only be defeated as the body of Christ across the city comes together in prayer and unity. And you have a part in, to play in bringing that about.
uh, that's not a normal conversation. <laughs> and I, uh, I didn't quite know how to respond to that. But, you know, I came away with a sense that God is able and, you know, he can do as he pleases and that he will have the victory. But he can perhaps understand my reticence in sharing. But I share it because, you know, if God has a role for me, then he has a role for us together, I believe, as a people. And my conviction is that the Lord will give some of you a word or greater insight into these things that you might share at some point, either with me privately or with us as a church family. And I do believe that some of you will be given a specific call from the Lord to pray more deeply into these things, that we stand together in this space. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, both men and women. The young will see visions, the old will dream dreams. Well, as it was in the days of Joseph, so it is today all the more. And so may the Lord open our hearts and give us discernment as he speaks in this way through dreams in remarkable ways. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, even as uh, we bow in prayer this morning, I just feel a, a heaviness, uh, like a, uh, not a negative heaviness, but a weightiness, probably a better word, over this word. But Lord, I ask that um, you'd give us increased openness to your spirit, that even as some of us gather this evening at Ignite with this idea of being open, Lord, that you would reveal yourself further and give us uh, discernment. Lord, I submit these things to the body here, seeking greater discernment from your spirit. But would pray, Lord, for an increased boldness as well that together we might be bold in proclaiming together your lordship, the lordship of Jesus over our city, recognising that there is an enemy who would want to bring strangulation. And yet, Lord, we have a Lord who is greater, greater is he than who is in us than he that is in the world. So we proclaim your victory together. Lord, cast fear from our midst and give us a boldness, the boldness of the people of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We would love to hear from you. If you would like prayer, please submit a prayer request at mounties.org.au forward slash prayer or send an email to communications at mounties.org.au and one of our team will be in contact. Have a great week.